left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. I'd read books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, the old purple Bible that would tell you that million dollar deals are sitting underneath your nose all the time. You just don't know where to look for them. But the reality is, is that that you don't know where to look for them is that you don't have money to take advantage of them if the deal is available, right? If we're taking all our money, we're putting it in our 401ks and IRAs, paying down debt, and we're constantly sitting there in a position where we don't have liquidity, passive investing, any type of investing outside of the typical Wall Street model doesn't even exist. Since you are here listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you're investing with a group of people. Whether you're investing with family or friends or like-minded people in the left field investors community, group investing is a strategy that can get you into more deals, help you diversify, and go beyond what you can achieve by yourself. Before TribeVest came along, it was difficult to overcome all the hurdles associated with group investing. It was basically a strategy reserved for the wealthy, not anymore. Now, TribeVest helps your group with everything from incorporation, collaboration, banking, and equity management tools all in a single place. So you can focus on building wealth with the people you know, like, and trust. I'm using TribeVest for all five, now six, of my investor tribes. It's a game changer. Check them out at TribeVest.com. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the Left Field community. This is Jeremy Roll, and you're listening to the Pass Investing from Left Field podcast. I'm very pleased today to have Russ Morgan with us. He's one of the founders of Wealth Without Wall Street. It's a community that seeks to teach business owners and families how money really works, to build savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. So this is really going to hit home for a lot of the uh, left field investors. Russ, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Thanks, Jim. Glad to be on the show. It seems like we actually have a very similar background. I too came out of the typical financial advising space. Yeah, that's great. And that's what I want to hear about your journey, because I think the community that you have, Wealth Without Wall Street, has a lot of the same things that we're trying to do here to help people teach a different way, right? You don't have to be in Wall Street assets to make money and to build wealth. And so if you can just start off a little bit with your journey, how you came to where you are, the interest in money, and then what you're doing now. Yeah. Well, I'll give you the short version. I know not everybody wants to hear the mom version, right? That she shares with her friends. <laughs> but <laughs> right. at the end of the day, I was a, a certified financial planner at one point in time, very similar, you know, reading your bio, seeing your story. There was this one size fits all mentality that existed in the world in which I was in. When the market crashed in 08, I was looking for better options. I happened to be at a conference in January 2009, where I was introduced to a book and a man who taught me that the real obstacle that we have out there is that we have lack of access to cash. And that lack of access to cash is really being the one thing that's keeping us from becoming financially free and to be able to think 
about how money works and what financial freedom really looks like. And I kind of set off on that journey to try to learn a better way. And what it did, it took me away from the traditional models. And I partnered up with Joey Murray. He's my business partner, co-host on our podcast. And between the two of us, we just started interviewing people, traveling the country, trying to find better methods. And it led us to building many different businesses, many different passive income streams ourselves to a point now that actually, Jim, we share our passive income report with the world every single month. We talk about the goods, the bads, and the things that we're doing to try to grow it each and every month. That's great. So the lack of access to cash led you to passive investing. Can you explain a little bit how that journey happened? We all need cash or we all want more cash, but how did that turn you on to passive investing? Well, the thing about it is, and you know this, is when we we're in, our, in the investment space, right? There was only just this limited box of options to choose from, at least the way that we saw it. And the reality is most people don't even know any differently because they don't have money to even tell themselves, hey, I need to find things to do with this cash. I've read books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, the old Purple Bible that would tell you that million dollar deals are sitting underneath your nose all the time. You just don't know where to look for them. But the reality is, is that that you don't know where to look for them is that you don't have money to take advantage of them if the deal is available, right? If we're taking all our money, we're putting it in our 401ks and IRAs and paying down debt, and we're constantly sitting there in a position where we don't have liquidity, passive investing, any type of investing outside of the typical Wall Street model doesn't even exist. So when I, so I got into a position where I had cash, then I had to tell my cash what to do. And that meant I had to get educated. And that's one of the biggest things that we're proponents of is that you've got to learn. you got to be an investor in yourself. You've got to be able to increase your knowledge. And it took a lot of me traveling, a lot of me interviewing people, reading a lot of books, and then ultimately just taking imperfect action to find opportunities. Early on, I would love to tell you I started out and knew exactly what I wanted to do when I got access to that cash, but I didn't, right? I, I really started choosing models that were not too dissimilar from what I was working in in the Wall Street model, where it was the easy button. I didn't understand the investments I was getting into. They were producing cash flows, but unfortunately, I didn't understand the reasons why. And I had one of those deals go really bad. And it's one of those lessons that I'm glad I learned at the very beginning of that process that has then helped me say, hey, I need to be more knowledgeable in the things I'm putting my money in. Not that I have to completely educate myself in every aspect of it, but I need to understand what questions do I need to ask. If I'm doing a syndication, for instance, I need to know what are those things? Why does this indicator like this investment? Why do they like the area that they're in? What is the experience of them? And ultimately, because you know you're investing in the person. Right. That's a big part of it, right? Investing the person. Now, I want to back up a little bit. I want to understand you know, you said you need to get cash and then get educated. So I'd like to circle back to that. But first, how did you figure out or what led you to believe that cash flow was the thing that you needed, right? That gets you into passive investing because that's what produces the cash flow. But what was the light bulb that went on that said, hey, man, I, I need some cash flow from different sources other than your income, right? Your job. Yeah, well, lots of different things, right? One is I have four kids, Jim, and my kids, as they continue to grow older, I realize anytime I want to do something, whether it's vacation or, or stay at home one day and not go to the work, I would always have this nudge at my heartstring to say, hey, the only way this thing keeps working is if you have active income, right? And so I knew immediately, just intuitively from that, if I didn't do something active, I wasn't going to produce income. But I didn't know what the alternative was. And then 
I saw the formula and we just copy it. Obviously, it's not ours. We'd like to tell people that the formula of financial freedom is easy, but the work to accomplish it is hard. And here's the formula. Everybody knows this, probably who's listening to your show, but just in case they haven't heard you say this before, financial freedom is when your passive income, that's money coming in that you don't have to go to work for, is greater than your monthly expenses. And when I was able to just sit down and say, okay, I can figure out what my monthly expenses are, but I have zero passive income. So as it relates to how close am I to financial freedom, I was 0% of the way there. That hit me square between the eyes. And if you're riding down the road right now, you can do the math in your head. If you got $1,000 a month coming in from apartment complex or ATM machines or whatever syndication or other long-term rental that you're in, you take that and you divide it into the amount of expenses that you have you know exactly how close you are to that final destination. And that was the thing for me is when I saw that formula, it gave me the light bulb moment. I don't want to bore you with a two of a long story, but I share this sometimes with our audience that when I was in college, I was on the five-year plan, right? And mostly because the first year I I chased a dream of trying to be a baseball player long after I'd had injuries that were going to prevent me from being anything (laughs) remotely close to a good baseball player. So when I was in college, I remember sitting there through my second junior year I sat down with the guidance counselor and, and I said, hey, look, I know that the path I'm on, I don't want to keep on this path, but I don't want to extend it too long. I'm ready to get out. And, and she told me, hey, if you do A, B, C, you can be out in 12 months. And Jim, be honest, I didn't even realize that was even a reality. I didn't think that I was going to get out in a year. And so I went and did those things. And for me, seeing that formula of financial freedom being so easy, passive income greater than monthly expenses it gave me that goal, the target in which I could run after. Yeah, I think we've talked about that. And people talk about financial freedom and what does that mean, time freedom and all those things. But I think you've boiled it down to the most simple, and it's not rocket science, right? Your passive income has to exceed your expenses. And I think what a lot of people get to is they leave that passive part out, right? Your income has to exceed your expenses. And that's great if it does, but that doesn't give you freedom. That just means that you have enough money to pay for the stuff that you need or want, right? And so putting that word passive in there changes the entire equation because now you're going off and finding multiple passive income streams. And then you mentioned that that's kind of the easy part or the second part. The first part is you got to have the cash. So I think I know where we're headed here, but can you talk a little bit about where you get the cash and what you do with it? Yeah, this is kind of the foundational principle that we use within our business model. And many of your listeners probably are familiar with this. It's become more of a household name than it was for me when I I heard it back in 2009, right? The concept of becoming your own banker or infinite banking, there's a lot of different books out there and people out there that espouse to be experts in this space. I was privileged enough to happen to meet the man who wrote the book, Becoming Your Own Banker, Nelson Nash. He has since passed, but he actually lived in Birmingham. And I met him at an event I was at in Orlando. I read his book. And on the back of it, when I finished it, I turned it over and it said, Rocky Ridge Road, Birmingham, Alabama. And I thought, that's amazing. Like this individual lives in my hometown. And I've traveled around the country to find out ideas. And the guy here has an idea. So I, I would sit down with him for lunch, for breakfast. On a phone call, I mean, I can't tell you how many times a month over the 10-year period of time before he passed. And I was grateful to learn just the simplicity that I just shared, that having access to cash is the one obstacle that can make financial freedom a reality instead of a dream. And, And so we started implementing that in my individual family. And he teaches you in this concept, there's many ways to get access to cash and where to put it. But the choice that he used, which was one of the age-old financial products, was dividend-paying 
whole life insurance, something as boring as that. And I was just sharing with my community, actually, the very first policy I bought, Jim, just had the anniversary on it in Inner Circle. We were doing a talk and I said, hey, I want to share this with you. I just got my new statement in and it showed how much cash I put in that policy for last year and how much the cash grew. And it grew by 106% over on what I put in it. And it was exactly what the man Nelson Nash taught me because he was showing me his policy statements, the things that he had had for 40 and 50 years. And he said, Russ, it's, it's not rocket science. We're just building cash in a safe, liquid place that you can use to go do many things. And for us, we teach people, you got to be a saver. You got to have access to cash. And we've made that kind of a part of our plan to help people build these systems and be able to then deploy those systems in order to create the cash flow that we were just talking about. And that's great. You know, a lot of people in our community know about this concept and use it. It's easy to understand, but it's a big hurdle to get over because if you take out your Google machine and you Google whole life insurance, you're going to get a lot of things that say how bad this is, right? And that was the big hurdle for me because I did the research and I Googled it and I kept finding people saying it wasn't the right product. It wasn't very good. And you're talking about your first policy. First policy I got, I sold to myself because I was an advisor and I did everything wrong, right? I sold it to maximize my commission rather than maximize the benefit that I wanted it for because that's how I was taught. And so in our community, we talk about you have to find an advisor who is willing to structure the policy in a way that helps you. So how do you explain this concept to people or get people to understand without trying to force them into it, right? Because you're not trying to force anybody into anything, but to understand that, hey, this concept, this can really help you. And how do you explain that? And then how do you use the policy? Yeah, I would say definitely the hardest thing we all have to do is unlearn things, right? That's why a lot of times we have people that reach out to our coaches and maybe their parents has shared, hey, this is what you need to go set up now. They don't have that bad information in their head. So they're not trying to unlearn things and it comes really easy to them. But for most of us, like you and I, that were professionally trained on how life insurance is just a tool for death benefit and any other method is a bad use of it. It was really hard for me too to unlearn some of that stuff, to not really understand why insurance companies set up policies and how we can set them up differently to benefit us. So as far as explaining it, one of the things we have many tools. So we've created a community that has a little over 5,000 members in it. And in there we have something called IBC 101, Infinite Banking 101, where we walk through and, and explain it from top to bottom. So that way it shows examples. Then we, we walk through questions that they have. And a lot of times it's just physically seeing it. The first thing that did it for me, Jim, I was sitting at that conference and I heard Nelson Nash speak. My ears was open. But by the way, it wasn't the first time I'd heard him speak. I'd been at the same type of conference. It'd been in different cities across the U.S. for the previous four years. But the previous four years, I was an expert. I knew exactly how money worked because the market was going well. But this was the first year where the market had crashed and all of my understanding of how things work had fallen apart. And I had open ears and kind of like Paul in the Bible, the scales <laughs> fell from my eyes. And I went to this little breakout session and this guy just showed how somebody simply was using it to buy the cars of the lifetime and how that was creating a pool of cash larger than what they would have had. And I was like, if it's so simple there, I need to be able to figure it out. I would love to tell you I got it immediately. It actually took me about six months of really trying everything I could to break it and say, I don't think this works. But eventually I did learn. And thankfully, we've built processes to be able to help people understand it in a much less time than that. Now, sometimes it takes that long for some people, but most of the time they're able to go through 
over a shorter period of time and learn how this applies. Now, you the second part of your question was, how do we use it? And for me, I have a system of policies. This is probably going to freak out most of your listeners. I have over 20 dividend paying whole life insurance policies on myself, my wife, my kids, my business partners, other investors that I'm invested in, as well as former employees that we had bought insurance policies on. And people ask me all the time, do I need to have that many? I say, no, I just wanted that many. I just needed a place for my cash to go. Just like when I was a kid, Jim, I used to save pennies for some reason. Now, I don't even know if pennies exist. You don't even see your coins anymore. But I'd save them in little mason jars. And whenever I'd take the top off and put the penny in, I couldn't close it. I'd have to go get a new jar to put the next set of pennies in. And that's the way I see my life insurance contracts. I, I set them up to hold the amount of cash that I have coming in at the time and as it continues to expand. So what I do is I set up this system and I have large cash values since I've been doing it for a long enough time. And I borrow against those cash values in order to invest in the deal. So we invest in a lot of different things. We have over 25 short-term rentals. We have ATM machines. We have a land flipping business that brings in about $17,000 a month in note income. We own different e-commerce businesses. We are in multifamily syndications. We have some just traditional long-term rentals. Every time that we do anything, we start up a new business, which seems to be like every three to six months, I'll borrow against those cash values, deploy it as equity into that business. And as the business starts cash flowing, I take that cash flow and I just replenish the loans that have been taken out. And as you know, but many people don't, is the beauty of this process is that the whole time my cash values are growing. They haven't stopped. It's growing on the full dollar amount, not what I have left over after I borrowed against it. And the insurance companies don't require me to tell them what I'm doing with it, nor do they require me to have a credit statement or anything else. And it is ultimate flexibility. I don't have a structured payment. So they don't tell me every month how much I have to pay them with principal and interest or any of that. And it's just a real benefit to me as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, as an investor, to be able to use dollars in a place that otherwise I wouldn't have kept. And you know, I could go on and on, but that's kind of the gist. Hey, Leftfielders, this is Julian McClurkin from Tribe Vest. I recently had the pleasure of sitting down with Jim Pfeiffer for a masterclass. I learned so much from passive investing to real estate syndications to how you can diversify your portfolio with a tribe. I also learned how this form of passive investing was only available to the wealthy until recently. If I learned a lot, you will too. Go to leftfieldinvestors.com and check out the masterclass button at the top or look up Tribe Vest on YouTube. I'll see you there. Some of the things you mentioned don't seem very passive to me. And I know when I first got into real estate, I was active, but I thought I was passive because I would buy turnkey properties or I'd have a property manager that would manage it for me. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm a passive investor. But actually, that was quite active. And even now, what I mostly do are syndications. Even that has some active components at the beginning. Once you send the wire, you're off the hook because then, then it's out of your hands, right? You have no control. So can you talk a little bit about the difference between, you talked about short-term rentals and ATMs, and those are very different, right? ATMs, very passive, short-term rentals, I would assume not so passive. So can you talk about that and how you decide what's the next investment, whether it's going to be active or passive? Yeah. Inside of our community, we have kind of a three-step approach. We call it GPS, like anywhere we're going that we've never been before, right? We take out our phone, we plug in the destination into GPS to get us there. That's the three-step approach we have. First, you got to have a goal. You got to know where you're going. 
And the second step is you got to have a plan. And the first step in our plan is for everyone to understand their investor DNA. You got to know how you see the world and how that you can add value to the world. And only then can you can make really good, sound decisions, I believe, financially that will match up with that, that you won't have conflict with. So one of the things for me, Jim, is I love to influence. I've been in business for a long, long time. There's few things that I'm good at, but there's a handful that I am. And so I want to be able to add value into businesses. I kind of like businesses more than investments, pure investments, just who I am. So when I look at anything, I'm trying to figure out how can I make it into a business? Well, I remember when I, we started interviewing people about short-term rentals, one of the first people we interviewed, the lady was doing really well. She had four or five units. She was up in the Nashville, Tennessee area. She was telling me about how much cash flow they're bringing in. I was like, this sounds amazing. When are you going to get your next one? She goes, actually, I've topped out. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, well, I just can't. I'm constantly running things to the different units. I'm even trying to help clean sometimes when our cleaner's not available. And to be honest, I just don't have any more time. And I thought, that's a really bad idea. (laughs) I mean, like, (laughs) why are you not hiring people to do this? Why are you not creating a business model? Why are you not following the e-myth and and like setting up an organizational chart and, and finding ways to fire yourself at every point? So when I kept going down this process, my business partner and I said, well, this seems like a really great cash flowing model, but we clearly do not have the interest or the time to be the ones operating. So we set out with a business plan to hire an operator to make sure that operator was well-trained and to support that operator from a financial standpoint, but also to be able to give strategic marketing and, and operations oversight to this individual. But we also hired somebody that was really high autonomy. And we use something called the culture index. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's a great tool to help understand characteristics of someone, how they'll work within their job. And we hired somebody with one of the highest autonomy scores you can have. We started that short-term rental business in June of 2020. And over the next 18 months, we went from zero units to 20 units. And my business partner, I do not operate in any shape or form in this business. Our obligation is once a week, we have an hour meeting with our operations person to sit down and for them to disclose what's happened since last week, what are they working on this week, and where are they stuck? And we just continue to add capital and strategic vision to the business. And it's become, for me, super passive. I would have no idea what to do if anything went wrong. But also, we now have invested heavily into finding ways to reduce our single points of failure in the business. We have bought insurance policies on that operator in the event something were to happen to them. But that's kind of how I do it. I like to look at a business. I like to see an investment and see how it can make it a business. So that's what we did with our short-term rental business. We have a land flipping business that many of your listeners probably heard of, Mark Podolsky, the land geek. We're great friends with that group. We heard how that model was going out, finding small pieces of land, turning around and selling it to people on owner finance notes and creating a cash flow that way. It was amazing. The problem is, is that we were not going to be the person going to find it, nor wanting to be the people selling it or being the person that was making sure they were making the payments. And so we said, how do we do this? And we failed the first time we put somebody in place that was not the greatest fit. We didn't understand the business good enough to realize we needed somebody with the higher sales skills. We thought that person needed to have a lot more detail. And so then we partnered with another operator who had all of those things in place. And so then we just became equity partners with them. They run the day-to-day. They get paid for the day-to-day. We're just capital investors in the, in the thing. And we have a monthly meeting with them just to do the same thing, to understand where the business is, what are they looking for, and where are they stuck. And so we've taken models like that that a lot of 
people will work on in an active role, which is fine. It just wasn't where our investor DNA lined up. I think that's great. The thing you said, you're finding ways to fire yourself. And I just think that's super powerful to, to think of it that way, because you know if you want passive income and you want multiple different streams of passive income, you can do what I do, which is invest in syndications, or you can also do what you do, which is invest in businesses, but as soon as you can, fire yourself so someone else is managing or running the business and you're just overseeing it. I think that's great. In your community, you're presenting opportunities to your members or how do they go about finding deals and deciding asset classes and markets and all of that? So we have a couple of different things. So Jim, our baseline community, and if anybody you know listening to this call wants to just get in, get access to it for free, you can just go to whatwhatwallstreet.com forward slash passport. That will take you directly into our community. You can like get access to the passport challenge, which is the first step. That's the goal part in the three-step process. But most of the members will ultimately gravitate toward either our inner circle, which is a group of people who's trying to get from 0% passive income to 100% passive income, or for some of the accredited investors that we work with, they'll get into our passive income mastermind. So in our inner circle, that's where we're basically coaching people through the process of helping match their investor DNA to opportunities that they see. We're more trying to equip them in that inner circle. We're not trying to say, here's a deal for you to invest in. We're trying to help them make decisions that would help them avoid investing in the wrong deal, if that makes sense. Now, in our passive income mastermind group, that's where we have people that are seven, eight, nine figure entrepreneurs, and they're looking to be truly hands-off for the most part. They have a successful business. They've built the income, but they're either looking for financial security or they're looking for time freedom. And so in that model, we do have syndicators, we do have other business investors come in and share deals and deal flow with this group. And they're looking for opportunities to not only build the infrastructure to help them model it and to grow it well past them, because the goal behind that group is to actually to equal 200% of our monthly expense needs and passive income, but also to build ways to reduce tax strategies so that way we don't end up giving the government every dollar that we make as we're on the path to creating more passive income. Do you help your community vet a sponsor? You know, if we're talking about investing in these syndications, how do you make sure that the sponsor of the syndication or the general partner is qualified and has a good history and and all of that? Because that's one of the things that people want to know most are, what are the sponsors I should invest with and how do I qualify them? That's one of the things that we've done in either the inner circle or inside of our passive income mastermind is walking them through some questions that they can ask, helping them be able to see that not all opportunities are good or bad, right? It really is what may be a good fit for you, Jim, maybe not be a good fit to me. And we want to match that investor DNA to it, but also then, okay, I've decided that mobile home park investing is what I'm into, or I believe apartment complexes is where I feel more passionate about. Let's talk to the sponsors with a handful of questions. We give them a list, right? Once they're in there, that's kind of part of our process. But for us, we're not going to make the decision for them. I'm no longer an investment advisor. I gave that up a long time ago. So I'm not being the middleman in the transaction anymore. So ultimately, we're equipping them, regardless if they are accredited investors and they are having deals brought to them and they're investing in them. The deals aren't coming from us. The deals are coming from outside people and they're just a part of the membership. So they get access to it. Okay. That makes sense. That's similar to how Left Field Investors works as well. We're trying to educate and provide a network for people that are looking to get into passive investing through syndications, but we're not 
necessarily presenting deals or saying, go with this sponsor or that sponsor. We're trying to give people the information so they can make that decision on their own so it's repeatable. And then they can share it with the community, right? If you have good experiences, you can share it amongst the other people in the community. I think that's a powerful way to do it. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned earlier, you used the term imperfect action. And that sounded interesting. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, I don't know how much you have followed the former Colin Powell, but he had a 4070 rule. Are you familiar with this? I am not. He had the 4070 rule that said that he needed at least 40% of the information to make a decision, but no more than 70% of the information to make a decision. And the concept was, is that without at least 40%, you can't really make a good decision. You don't have enough of the data. But if you're waiting until 70% or further, you've waited too long. And I think that we see people on both sides of the equation. We see people that that are just firing off at the first opportunity that comes along. And by the way, I've been there. I remember buying my first rental property in 2006. Couldn't been it more excited, right? Like the opportunity of the lifetime. And soon, about a year and a half later, I was regretting that decision because I hadn't done my due diligence on what could go wrong. But also, we see people who have that analysis paralysis, right? Who need to get 99% of all the information before they make a decision. And what ends up happening is the deal's gone and they don't even get to take advantage of it, or they never take advantage of anything. And they're always asking and saying, what if? I love that. That makes sense. And that's the imperfect action, right? So you're taking action at some point when you're within that 40 to 70 area, that's when you pull the trigger and that's when you do a deal or or whatever you're doing. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we're going to make decisions that are either going to leave us with a lesson learned or success. I don't believe in failure. I just believe either it was a success or there was a lesson for me to learn from it. I've had a lot of lessons and thankfully I've learned from most of them, right? I've, I've repeated a few, that's that's on me. But that's the thing. It's like, if you're learning around in the process, make small decisions, but make them. Don't worry about it. Like we're going to lose some money from time to time, but learn through that process. Don't make humongous decisions that can be catastrophic to your situation. But I think that a lot of times is that the engineer clients, the doctor and dental clients we have, they've lived in a world of perfection for so long that it ultimately puts them in this just panic mode that they have to make a decision without having everything. And so they hold and don't do it. I always say you get to that 40 to 70 percent rule, take action, even if it's small, and you can learn from it. I think that's great because, you know, part of the inertia to get up and take that first action, especially for a new investor it's hard to send that first wire. It might be the most money you've ever wired anywhere. So it's very difficult. And I think putting it in the frame of, hey, as long as you've got 40 to 70% of the information, you can make a pretty good choice. I think that's powerful and could help people get going. I assume you talked to a lot of new passive investors. What advice would you give them or some of the things they need to look out for as they're kind of starting their journey? I probably sound like a broken record, but the concept is very simple in our community is if you know where you're going, right, you can develop a plan to get there. So if they go through that first step where they go through the passport challenge, they understand why they want to create passive income, right? That why has got to be greater than the what now. And so they've got to develop that. And then when they go through that second step, which is they get their investor DNA, the thing that we say is that when you go through that process, you will start to learn as a passive investor what type of passive investor will be a good investor, right? Robert Kiyosaki has this saying, there's no good or bad investments, there's just good or bad investors. And I think most people have never really figured out what a good investor looks like. So for me, here I am, someone who loves influence, who loves result-oriented. I'm as impatient as you can possibly be. My knees always just dot, 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 because I want to go. 
I want to go fast. Well, the first investment I bought was a long-term rental. I mean, there's nothing more boring than a long-term rental that is managed by a third party. Now, it is age old, it's proven it works, right? But at the end of the day, like once I had it, even before it went bad, I was like, really? $150 a month? That's what we're dealing with? Like, how long is this going to take me to do something? It was a bad investment for me just because it didn't align up with who I was. I tell people there's people that will get into, for instance, short-term rental. It's fast. It's quick. It creates results. But if they are a slower paced individual, they kind of fret at the potential for a regulation coming from the government or from a HOA or something like that, that could take their business out from under them without a moment's notice. They sit there and panic the whole time. They don't even like it. They don't care how much money they're bringing in, right? You got to match the person with the investment. And for us, like when you and I were investment advisors, it was just just risk tolerance. Like everybody was either between zero and 10, whatever that was. That means you got that much in stocks and the rest in bonds, right? I mean, well, that's not the way it is. Like we've got to match deeper the way that we see the world to the investments we are. And for us, that's kind of what we take people through because we need to make sure that that's right. Yeah, that's great. It's so crucial. It took me forever to match myself to my investments, right? I was active trying to be passive. And I did a ton of different things, always chasing the shiny object. And I think that's kind of a little bit about what you're saying, right? Match the investor to to what you're investing in. And if you can find the things that you like and are interested in, you're going to be so much better of an investor and so much more comfortable if it, if it suits you. And I think it might take people a winding road to get there. But I think with the way your community operates, that you kind of set it up so you have that map from the beginning. I think that's super valuable to people that are just getting into it or experienced people who are still chasing the shiny object and haven't figured out where they are yet. True. Absolutely. The last question I always ask is, what's a great podcast that you like to listen to? And I know you guys have your own podcast, so I'll certainly put that in the show notes. So you cannot choose your own, (laughs) but you can choose another one. There's so many podcasts, but here's one that I, I love just because I am a business guy. I'm someone who loves to find ways to improve in business. And that doesn't matter if it's investment business that I'm in or if it's the our day-to-day business. It's called The Business School with Sharon Shravatsa. And Sharon is a very powerful individual. If you've never heard about who he is, he came to this country from India at age 17 and uh, over the next 23 years had three or four or five different exits. His latest one was a 10-figure exit. And it's somebody that just gives back on his podcast because he has the time and he has the experience And he just shares things in a very clean, concise way that I just love. Awesome. Well, I will definitely put that in the show notes along with your podcast, the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. So if our listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? If you go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash passport, and when you join our community, we actually have a DM function in there. And I'd love for you to say, once you jump in there to DM me and say, hey, I heard you on the Left Field Investing Podcast. And that's how we connect. I have social media accounts, to be honest, I don't check them because they're a distraction. That's where we spend all of our time and interaction. That's where all our content goes. And it's something that we built specifically off social media for the purpose for people to connect. So you can download the app right in the app store, Wealth Without Wall Street, and all of our content, all of the stuff that we do is in there. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. This has been a great episode with a ton of awesome, actionable information. So appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah, Jim. Thank you for having me. This episode is brought to you by MAG Capital Partners. 
a leading investment firm specializing in single-tenant industrial real estate with triple net leases. MAG invests in properties with established tenants in manufacturing, cold storage, and distribution. These income investments are designed for strong, tax-advantaged cash flow from day one and have historically generated above-market returns. With approximately $500 million of real estate acquisitions, MAG Capital Partners has extensive experience and a history of profitable exits. To learn more about MAG Capital Partners, visit www.magcp.com. What a great conversation that was with Russ. A couple of things that I really enjoyed was the imperfect action, where if you can get something into that 40% knowledge to 70% knowledge range, then you can take action and you don't have to get it all the way up to 100% because if you do, you're never going to take action because you can never be 100% sure. But if you're less than that 40, then you know you probably need to do a little bit more due diligence to get comfortable with it. So that 40 to 70 imperfect action, that's really helpful in, in something like investing with in a new asset class or with a new sponsor. I mean, you want to make sure that you're with working with someone you trust, but if it's a new asset class or a new deal and, and you get to 70% and you feel good about it, you can probably just go ahead. Another thing that the formula, it's, it is obvious, as he said, you know, having passive income that exceeds your monthly expenses, that gives you financial freedom. Now, obviously, if you're going to quit your job, you might want to build in a little buffer and not have it dollar for dollar. But I think too many people don't look at the passive part and they just think, hey, as long as my income exceeds my expenses, I'm fine. But as soon as you get it to the point where your passive income exceeds your expenses and you build in that cushion, then your W-2, your regular day job becomes optional. You can do it if you want to, or you can reduce hours, or you can completely stop and do something that you enjoy more. Financial freedom is really just about options. Gives you time freedom, which gives you options to do what you want. And then the last thing, there were many things, but another thing that I liked was the investor DNA. And man, I'm a guy who chases the shiny object. And it took me a long time to narrow down the shiny object, so I chase less of them now. But matching your investor DNA to the investments you're making, it just makes total sense. A lot of these things are simple things, but if you don't think of them or don't intentionally plan for them, you're going to miss out on it. And so figuring out, hey, am I someone who really wants to do short-term rentals and all the stuff that comes with that, even if I pass it off to somebody else like Russ and just manage it from above, is that something I want to do? Is that the asset class that matches my personality? So I think as soon as you find some of those, that's what you should be concentrating on. And that's where you spend your time. I got a lot out of this conversation with Russ, and I really appreciate that he was on the show. We'll see you next time in the left field. Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com, or you can send me an email jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.